0: To two on Mile High Sports. It is the final day of May, which means for the first time in their history, the Denver Nuggets will be playing meaningful basketball in June. Tomorrow is the NBA Finals. We'll tip off Game One here in Denver. A, a momentous historical uh, occasion, not only for the Nuggets but really in, in Denver sports. The Nuggets, the second longest tenured team in town, founded in 1968, is the ABA Rockets. And uh, and having their first opportunity to win an NBA title that they did lose in the ABA finals uh, back in the 70s. So this would be their first opportunity to uh, win a championship. And they come in as the heavy, heavy favorites. As a matter of fact, in the last 20 years, uh, only two teams had been favored more heavily than the Denver Nuggets. Uh, Both of those teams, one of those including the San Antonio Spurs, won the Spurs, the only ABA team to win a title as well. So that's right. The, the Nuggets finding Who are the Spurs favored against um, by more than the Nuggets are favored by now. Yeah, I, I, I have to look at that one. I know the Warriors were the top one when they played Cleveland. Yeah, and, well, uh, which year? Yeah, I'll, I'll find. This I'll, it's 2016 find that the for year. You. Cleveland won. <laughs> <I don't laughs> one time, Cleveland 2018. Beat them. Thank you. Yeah, it and, was 2018. Uh, they were favored over Cleveland. Well, right. Yeah, I think that might have been a sweep. Uh, Yeah, it ended up being one-sided, but the the idea here that the Nuggets are that heavily favored, and they should be. This is there's almost an idea here. It's kind of funny talking to to fans and and friends over the last. Maybe it was San
1: Antonio, Cleveland, also with LeBron. It it may have been the other side uh, Cleveland's uh, oh seven title run, and. It was LeBron's, of course, but in the last First, yeah, 20 twenty
0: twenty plus years at least that's their the third yeah, most uh, heavy fine, and that Our was favorite. a sweep too for San Antonio. Well, and this is a, a one that you look at it and thinks think that you could have a sweep, but the teams have are in fact the uh, the Heat and the Nuggets were talking today down at uh, a ball arena, and some of that is still going on. But <laughs> the idea now that there's maybe so can you be too much of a favorite. I I think when you're uh, a fan of the Nuggets, when you've actually found yourself uh, following this team for years and years and years, you're the one who's been arguing that, well, don't worry about the odds. What the Nuggets can do to beat the odds is is this and that. Now that the shoe is on the uh, other foot and there's a temptation, I think, for fans to overlook the heat. Obviously, they're here for a reason. And they were almost here last year. Only one game off. Uh, they were there in 2020 and lost. This is a team that has been sitting at the cusp of a title for a while now, and overlooking them would be a major mistake. I couldn't agree
1: more. Uh, just got through doing our weekly, what is now weekly podcast with uh, George Carl, right? Just to talk uh, about basketball guys up? through Truth Plus Media, and of course uh, the good folks here at Mile High Sports, and uh, that will be up shortly and george will be joining us on this program tomorrow afternoon uh, in advance of game one and george said exactly the same thing that there is a certain almost indefinable sense around the heat that something magical is happening and they can continue to uh Cloak themselves and be accurate about it. As the underdog, Nuggets can't do that anymore.
0: <laughs> They're or a no. prohibitive favorite, which is funny. Of course, they were the underdog in both the conference finals yeah. and the
1: conference semifinals. Although it, it, it was funny, most of the national media that Michael Malone is so fond of needling uh, picked the Nuggets to beat the Lakers by about two to one margin
0: yes true.
1: Uh, <laughs> two-thirds pick the nuggets and uh a similar percentage had them beating the phoenix suns too once we got a sense that you know maybe the phoenix suns especially after chris paul got hurt would be relying far too much on booker and durant to win four games uh, off a team as well balanced and as deep as denver that was back when Denver was playing eight guys. Um, George also made another point: not that there is always a tie-in between regular season and postseason when two teams from different conferences match up, because they only play twice. Right, and sometimes both games are early, sometimes both games are late, sometimes one game's early and one game's late. You know, ne- you never know who's healthy and who's out, and. Hu- but he said, uh, and I think the Nuggets beat the Heat twice this year, for whatever that's worth, home and home. He said, in the game in Miami, the one guy on the Nuggets who seemed not at all afraid of Jimmy Butler in any way, shape, or form was Christian Brown. And he spent a lot of time on Butler and... And again, Butler's reaction was not to fight Christian Brown because he thought Brown was playing dirty. It was just that Brown was always up in him and wasn't backing off and didn't seem intimidated by him. It wasn't Brown was trash talking him or disrespecting him or making him want to fight, but it just, he was a nuisance. And it will be interesting to see if Christian Brown, who was benched for game four of the previous series of the Lakers and got benched after making a offensive mistake in the middle of the third quarter of game three, uh, sees action in this series. And George Carl admitted that if it were him in that position, it'd be a tough call. (laughs) He'd be nervous about it. But he said, I went back and watched that game. And to be sure Christian Brown was not afraid of Jimmy Butler at all. And I, I think that could be a key psychologically for the Nuggets because I thought with the exception of Grant Williams, who certainly stood up to Jimmy Butler from the Boston Celtics, I thought Jimmy Butler intimidated some guys. I really do. I, I thought they were a little bit, Jesus, this is something we don't see very often, this kind of fire, competitiveness, and... He's a really good player on top of that. And Grant Williams, even Charles Barkley on, on the TNT tells even Charles Barkley, the, the Charles, especially Charles Barkley made this point that he would not criticize Grant Williams for quote unquote, poking the bear because Grant Williams is the one guy who didn't seem scared to death of Jimmy Butler. And that's a good thing. And he was not going to criticize Williams for standing up to Butler. In fact, the story of the series was that very few Celtics had an inclination to do anything of the kind. Now they figured out his shot fakes until he stopped faking in game seven. He adjusted to their adjustment, but I think that's a big deal in this series. Um, I think you have Jokic who's unflappable. Nothing bothers Jokic. Uh, Butler, I, I don't think you can rattle him, but you can irritate him. And I think sort of the same thing about Jamal Murray. I, I don't think you can unhinge him psychologically, but I think you can bother him or frustrate him. And maybe this will be a contest in this series with Jokic standing apart from everybody else. To see which of the the other stars slash superstars in the series, Butler or Murray gets more irritated, gets more frustrated first. And maybe, not, not even back off, but maybe not get quite as aggressive. And I think there are three or four Nuggets who can play Jimmy Butler, but I also think there are three or four Miami Heat who can play Jamal Murray and I don't think there are three or four people in the Miami Heat. There's not more than one, in my opinion, who can even defend Nikola Jokic with some resistance yeah, provided. Nobody, nobody. It's, it's not like they're lining up uh, with with Murray. They 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 have three or four possibilities, um, and Jimmy Butler is certainly one of those. Possibilities. They may be going
0: head-to-head. I mean, I think that the Murray is going to be the focus for the defense on the Heat because there is an expectation, and I think teams have, have come to understand when they face Nikola Jokic that he has reached that level, and yes, I know the names that I'm talking about. Like Michael Jordan, like LeBron James at their peaks, at a certain point, he is essentially unguardable. He is going to do what he is going to do. You have to accept that baseline level of performance and then see what you can do to alter the rest around the the periphery. Murray is, of course, the next target. And so the temptation with Jokic at times is for teams to throw help at him when he gets the ball down low. Of course, teams have now realized what you're doing is you're giving Nikola Jokic a pass to a wide-open man because Jokic will hit every teammate at any angle at any point in time you may think you have the passing lanes covered but you don't that's the trick with jokic he is a magic johnson level type passer he sees things other people doesn't see you think you have the, you have them, the passing lanes covered? With you. you don't have them covered you don't you send a double team jokic is going to get a teammate an open shot so teams this year especially post all-star break started to give up on the double teams and more or less understand that Jokic might go for 30 on us or more. We'll accept that as I'll long as what. he doesn't also get a dozen assists. In these playoffs,
1: you have a better chance to beat the Nuggets when Jokic averages 42 points a game, 11 rebounds, and 11 assists than you do if he averages 30 points, 13 rebounds, and 10 assists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's, that's hilarious. But that that's the it, poison you it's, have to pick, it's, right? It's when you pick your poison. You'd rather have Jokic be a forty-point scorer and take you thirty win. shots. Remember the Phoenix game four where he scored fifty-three? Mm-hmm. He took thirty shots. Uh, you
0: no, know, you want to make him you, into a you scorer. You want to make him even though he is just a, a score. hilariously efficient scorer. That's still what you want to do. Listen. uh I know
1: it was game four against the Minnesota Timberwolves, and the Nuggets were up 3-0. But that was the one game in these playoffs where although he scored 43 points, he only had six assists. And the Nuggets lost in overtime 114-108. to They were a minus 14 with Jokic on the floor. With Jokic on the bench in that game, the Nuggets were plus eight. And in the Phoenix game, in which he shot 20 for 30 and scored 53, he had six turnovers and was only a plus two in a game the Nuggets lost by five. So, you know, you give him 43 if nobody else scores 20, and that was the case in the Minnesota game. Not even Jamal Murray scored 20 points in that game. Uh, The Phoenix game three, Jokic had 30, 17, and 17, shot 11 of 19 from the field. He and Murray combined were 24 of 48 from the field. But nobody else did much. Nobody else did much in in that game. And the Nuggets were not good defensively in either of those Phoenix games. Their offense actually was okay. But you've probably got to accept the fact that Jokic is going to score 30 because that's what he's averaged throughout the playoffs, 29.9 to be exact. But maybe, though it's counterintuitive, you're thinking, boy, if he has to score 40 or more, that means there's some level of imbalance that usually doesn't exist with the Denver Nuggets. Even when Jokic is clearly their leading scorer. Remember, during the season, Jokic only averaged 24.5, right. say only. 24.5 points per game. The Nuggets were a beautifully balanced scoring machine. The magic of the playoffs has been that Jokic is scoring more and Murray is scoring a lot more right. than he did on average Murray during the regular season. Massively, That's been the difference. And the other guys have been timely scorers. Porter, uh, even Gordon at times. Caldwell Pope. Bruce Brown. But their numbers they are not a timely
0: scoring. Completely out of whack from what you might expect right. in a regular season. But right.
1: if you can make them into a team in which Jokic has to score let's say 40% or more of the points then the Nuggets become easier to defend, maybe more easily frustrated because they're standing around While Jokic against single coverage is is scoring and certainly his instinct is to pass, but passing out of a double team for Jokic seems a lot easier than passing out of single coverage. And he always makes the right basketball play, the right basketball read. And when the read is consistently, I've got to shoot because that's what the defense is telling me to do. He'll make an extraordinarily high percentage in those three losses in which he's averaging 42 points per game. He is shooting better than 61% from the field, better than 57% on threes, and he's even shooting his fouls slightly better at 79% versus 78% on average throughout the playoffs. So almost all his numbers, other than, strangely enough, rebounding, go up. In the losses, and again, it's counterintuitive, and you, you just hate to see one guy score as easily and effortlessly as Jokic does, yeah. without being tempted to say, "Boy, we got to double team right. him. We got to cool him see, off." See, that's a good point, but you actually. That's have, the Andy. way to go. It is a double good point. teaming is the worst thing to
0: do. But you are right when. You can say this in a vacuum and say, Unless, Unless Murray is on the is bench. The worst thing to do. Unless I, Murray I is on that. the bench, maybe you do. But double-team. there is, this is a game played by human beings. And you're right. When one guy is just scoring at will, uh, human nature is, right. we, we have to. We have to I know what the plan was, but we have to do something. <laughs> yeah. and, and sticking to that plan becomes really, really difficult. And that's where the Miami Heat are dangerous,
1: is the Miami Heat. They're, They're the well enough coached and well enough disciplined affected team in the league. They honestly do put winning up front as the major priority. And if you get 50 on them and they win the game, they're cool with that. They're not embarrassed in the least. The idea is to win the game. There's a lot of finals experience on that heat team, by the way. And if Eric Spolstra had his brothers and he could sketch out this series, He'd want every game to be ninety-five to ninety, and sure. he'd live with the outcome. Yes, I think so. If every I game is one twenty-five to one twenty, he knows it's going to be a short series. Yep. Ninety-five to ninety, he has a chance to grab a few of those games. Did they, did I don't they know want... if he can grab four that way, but he has That's a hell of right. a lot better chance. They're going to grab try to turn it into a slog when it's a slugfest. Yep. Then uh, it might be if it's racehorse basketball or maybe something not quite that extreme, but the pace is high. That does not work to Miami's advantage. The Nuggets are bigger. uh, The Nuggets are more athletic. The Nuggets are more skilled. They have two of the best three players in a series. They probably have the fifth best, sixth best, and seventh best players in a series too. So you're going to have to be creative, and there is not a coach. I don't believe at the present time, on the face of the earth, who is more creative, especially with defensive schemes,
0: than Eric Spolstra. Given the fact of what they'd had to do and what they'd have to do without Oladipo, without Tyler Hero, by the way, will not play in game one, according to uh, Spolstra. It, we'll continue to break this I, down. I doubt a blank in game two. He, want want to he know might your play opinion? Miami. 303-831-1340 is the call or text line. But we have an interesting guest for you because uh, one of the biggest, well, entertainment products in the world. I'll have some numbers that are Absolutely shocking for you about it. But uh, if you know video games or if you've ever played video games, you know NBA 2K. Mm-hmm. Gameplay designer Neil Samuel Dazar is going to join us to talk about what makes the Nuggets special next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Tar, Presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Delighted to be joined by our next guest. Though I've known for uh, many years and one of the, uh, the better basketball minds you don't know because... Well, he works with the NBA, not in the way you think. <laughs> Joining us now is Nino Samuel, the, known as uh, Dazar on the CGAR uh, on Twitter, obviously. Uh, he is the gameplay designer, one of the gameplay designers for NBA 2K. To get an idea how big that is, and a lot of you, I'm sure, have heard of that, the video game series. This year's version has already sold 11 million units, which means that were it a movie, <laughs> it would be the biggest movie of the year. By two hundred million dollars, it is a juggernaut, and one of the uh, main arms for the NBA to continue to reach out not only uh, with younger players but also globally. And so, it is really, uh, Zare, it's great to talk to you. I, we've I've tried to pull this off, I think, for almost what a decade. We finally did it. Only took the Nuggets going to their first ever NBA Finals. <laughs>
2: Man, I, I'm just really excited to be here. Thanks for
0: having me. Uh, when you put this game together, and obviously, you know, you've been doing this for, for a few years, and, and the technology gets more and more advanced all the time to the point where, you know, it's all b- basically photorealistic. But the game itself has gotten so smart because there are people with basketball backgrounds starting to build this game and understand it, and more and more you're seeing people come into that world. How has it been to bridge the gap between the technological side with all these advanced programming and uh, the the consoles that these run on, and the basketball side uh, of getting people, you know, the the old stereotype, right? The nerds and the jocks. Well, you have to work together on this.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I I think my background really plays into uh, my ability to help and to assist the team. Uh, It's hard to replace being in the gym, around coaches for years and years. And you bring that background of the fundamentals of what makes something work. Instead of just saying, hey, that looks cool on TV, what are the basketball mechanics that allow that play to happen? And then try to reverse your process and put that into your tools and into the game.
1: Is that how you're able to successfully translate the notion of how players think on the court into something that in the game is, for lack of a better term, realistic?
2: Yeah, I mean, they, it happens on several layers. You know, uh, uh, we have people working on uh, player tendencies. We have people that work on attributes and ratings. And, right. and where I come in is, is really scouting, studying the NBA. What makes this team different than another team? How does this coach like to use the tools at his disposal? And really try to bring that out so that if you're a fan of a certain team, especially a team like the Nuggets, you're going to see some of the, your favorite actions right. How they get the ball to Jokic? How we get Murray open? You know, you're going to see great similarities between what happens in our game and what happens in uh, real life NBA.
0: How challenging is it? Challenging is to mimic someone like Jokic, who is basically sort of <laughs> breaking the mold for centers and changing the way it's played. You know, how, how challenging can it be to to find a unique player like that and and make him function the way he does in real life?
2: It's a heck of a challenge, I got to be honest with you. There are players like Steph Curry and like Jokic that are literally game-breaking, right? Like how do you have balance when you have a player that size with that touch, right? Can shoot the ball from the perimeter, can make the passes that he makes. It's 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 hard to make him as good as he is and still have a game that's balanced. If you understand what, <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: you still need to be able to, you know, if you're playing as another team, you can't, you can't be Godzilla. You need to be able to somehow beat them.
2: <laughs> the
0: Nuggets lose sometimes.
2: <laughs> exactly, but it's it's a great challenge. It's a tremendous challenge. You know, I, I've worked as a systems engineer, I've worked as a systems manager, but I've never been challenged on a daily basis like I am in terms of troubleshooting, uh, uh, working in the gaming industry. It's it's a real joy if you love solving problems. And the, the fortunate thing for me is I get to solve basketball problems, right? And and I love the sport. I love the game. There's not too many things I love better than basketball and video games, and I get to do them both.
1: Listen, when Sean tells me someone has credibility and has the chops, I believe him. And uh, even if I didn't, what you just said and the two players you just named were named by – somebody we all have great respect for around here and with whom I did a podcast uh, less than an hour ago. Uh, His name is George Carl. Oh, wow. And he volunteered this. See, you know, the two players who have changed the game the most in the last 20 years. He didn't say the two best players, but the two players who changed the game the most in the last 20 years, they're the two guys you just named. Wow. Steph Curry and Nikola Jokic. Two guys you just named. <laughs> so so that's proof that there's a tie-in. The, yeah, and what you really do is. is is real. It's authentic. And th- the question I would have is, in, in your estimation, how your game has affected young players as a teaching tool. And I think it was Michael Porter Jr. said he used it when he was a rookie.
2: Uh, yeah, as a teaching tool, I think it's been tremendous for players at different levels. I could tell you a personal story about uh, my father, uh, 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 who was a basketball trainer uh, in Georgia. He had a kid that uh, went to high school, didn't play, wanted to go to college. So my father was a basketball trainer. He trained him in basketball. But you can't teach a kid feel for the game just training him one-on-one, right? Of course not. So my, my dad put him in, get, we got him a copy of NBA 2K, and we were having them go through plays and learn – When do you pass the ball? When do you initiate offense as the point guard? What are your responsibilities, right? And he's able to go over that, almost visualizing it, right? And so once he got done with that and training with my dad, he was able to get himself a scholarship to go to college and have that paid for. So that's just a personal story for me where I saw the advantage of having a game that could mimic those realistic tendencies and kind of get you in that type of flow where you can understand more things about the actual sport of basketball by playing a video
0: game. We're talking with Nino Samuel, one of the gameplay designers at NBA 2K, and, and, and I know what you're talking about because uh, one of the things you can feature in the game is you can have the plays uh, actively be placed on the floor, the the, the X's and O's and the arrows uh, while you're playing so you can learn that as it goes and learn when the, the correct time to cut is, when the correct time to pass. You know, you can actually change the way you want to handle screen. Do you want a guy to hedge? Do you want a guy to go over? All of these things are settings that the, uh, the hyper-advanced basketball uh, fan that the, almost can coach to that level as well. Building that in, how do you iterate from year to year and continue to make it more complicated, uh, and, and more realistic with, while still making accessible to basketball fans of all skill levels?
2: Uh, that is an excellent question. And th- the answer is, I don't know how we do it, but we find a way to get it done. Uh, uh, you know, it, we, the game is basically in layers, right? So on that first layer, you don't need to know much. You don't have to have to play our turned on. You can just get out there and have a great time. But when you want to advance, we have options that you can turn on in the menu that can show you everything that you need to know to get better. I mean, you know, with our new Eras feature that we featured last year, we have NBA offenses from the 60s, mm-hmm. 70s, 80s, 90s, all the way up into current day. So you can see how the game itself has begun to evolve. right? right? And so as you turn on those options and things start to, 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 to light up for you, like you said, with the playoff, you can see players branching, right? We have We have branching that where players are able to make intelligent decisions, where if you didn't have that turned on, you might not know why he didn't run up to the wing, right? But that we feed you that information. And the way that we built the system, it enables you to just kind of flow along. Like you said, you just see an icon over somebody's head, you pass to him, right? You see another icon, you pass to him. Before you know it, you're running the triangle offense out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And and, uh, what's old seems new again. But I'm wondering, as you described the evolution of the game, if there's any one aspect that really sticks out for you that might not occur, uh, at least to the casual fan who hears about basketball maybe as a sport changing more rapidly than any other sport has changed and, and clearly become more international game than virtually uh, any other sport. If there's one thing you can point to that has changed most dramatically, or maybe there's something that's in the process of evolving and, and still might reach a point that we can't even imagine in 2023. Well,
2: the, the the field is wide open for things that we can continue to do and and continue to evolve the game. Yeah, Uh, basketball as a whole has gone through this growth process where, it, and I'm sure if you've been around the game for a minute, we had this thing where our players like to on fast breaks cut to the rim and get layups. Yes. And and oh yeah, I vaguely remember abruptly. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> our fans let us know abruptly, hey, we want them to stop at the three point line and get three instead of two, so that small e- evolution in the game really caused a lot of change to take forth in how we make the game, how we have the AI make decisions, because, you know, there used to be a really big gap between where our audience was and understanding how to play and where we were. But now with shows like this one, the audience is really educated on what's going on out there. They want to run floppy. You know what I mean? They want to run that horn fist or that horn's down and we have that available. So, um, uh, Changes like that that seem small end up being really big
0: for our game. Well, last one for you. Uh, you know, we, we go a, a, a way back. I've consulted on, on games, including this one, for a long time. Uh, it's been a while since I've been with, with, with you on this one. But at the same time, I know that, that you're a, a defensive guy, and you understand how NBA defense works. That's a complicated thing. That's maybe, I think, the most complicated thing for fans to understand is how basketball defense works. Get into the head of Eric Spolstra for these finals. <laughs> What do you do?
2: <laughs> well, the first thing I do, I go by my local church and I pray. Because <laughs> I, I tell you, the Nuggets can win this thing so many different ways. They're very versatile in the way that they can do that. My best bet, and I, I feel like I was cheating because I was watching you guys, and this was my thought before I heard you guys say it right, but you got you know, to try to score 60 a night. You have to encourage him to do that. If you let him get a little and you send doubles, he's going to eat you alive. And exactly. you guys asked me earlier about something about the, uh, the, you know, the AI, right? Yeah. To get them to make the passes that Jokic makes, the, the AI is responding to me when I look in the debug, it's saying, that's a bad pass. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> if you understand what I'm saying, i like giving you, you an error. You know, you have to have that vision. <laughs>
0: yeah, It's
1: unbelievable. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah so so I would go tight on everybody. We're not doubling for anybody. We're going to stay near Jokic Jokic whether he's at the water fountain, whether he's in the <laughs> halftime tunnel, we're not going to leave him but we're not doubling him.
0: Right. Right. That is like I think that's likely what's going to happen and of course uh, you can try that yourself obviously if you have NBA 2K you can go onto the uh, the today mode and you can literally play uh, the version of Game one right now, tonight. If you want to warm it up yourself on NBA 2K23, available, of course, everywhere digitally and uh, physically everywhere you can find it. As I said, if it was a movie, it'd be the biggest of the year again, like it is almost every single year. Nino Samuels, one of the guys that makes it that way every single time. Uh, it's terrific to finally get you to talk about this. Uh, I really appreciate it. Where can they find more about uh, you, how you, where you're spilling things out, and the rest of the team for NBA 2K23?
2: Well, thank you, man. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you both for having me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at czar D-A underscore C-D-A-R. And, of course, a uh, shout-out to the uh, NBA 2K team, the best development team in the world, all our producers and engineers, and shout-out to our fans. We really appreciate you.
0: Thanks so much. Uh, really appreciate it. Great uh, great job. You Thanks, Nino. Thank you. All right, Nino you know, Samuel, gameplay designer for oh, NBA 2K20. That years. was fun. As I, as I told you, it is, uh, it is a it's fascinating, fascinating uh, kind of world to be in. And as I've said before, I've consulted on uh, a, a lot of games uh, before over the course of, of my career. And, and the detail that goes into this is pretty remarkable. It, it actually really is, if you're someone who hasn't played video games and you're understanding how some of this comes about. Uh, what MPJ was talking about as a rookie is literally you can just run it Uh, You can go under your practice areas. You can run any sort of play that most NBA team plays. Uh, You can break it down, slow it down, understand how it all moves. It really can be a teaching tool, and more and more, uh, the games are there for entertainment and there for fun, but they're what you put into them. And if you really want to do the work, uh, you actually see young NBA players get better at what they're supposed to do. Uh, These worlds converge in fascinating ways, so it was nice to get uh, Nino Samuel on there to see uh, how it all comes together. And, and as you can see, a, a lot of real basketball acumen and knowledge goes into it now as well. So a really cool opportunity to talk to, talk to him. So make sure you give him a follow at Dazar on Twitter, D-A underscore C-Z-A-R. And of course, the NBA 2K team, as uh, Deion Sanders would say, they're not hard to find. So uh, you know, it's what happens when you sell 11 million copies uh, every single year. The Denver Nuggets uh, with presumably... The one non-double team Nikola Jokic, as we all seem to agree, uh, has been the one constant. Can it remain so? How much better can he get? Well, there's some information about the way Nikola Jokic played in the playoffs compared to the regular season that might be revealing. I'll tell you more about it next on my life sports. <laughs> This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. That's right. You only have to think about tomorrow for one more day because it is game one tomorrow. The Nuggets will take on the Miami Heat. They are heavily expected to win the series, they are heavily expected to win game one. Although the Heat have opened on the road, in each series this year,
1: mm-hmm. and one game one. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I, th- I Every thought it time. was interesting because we've, been, we've gone over it this week, the, the history of teams with these five or more days of rest advantage yeah. and the winning percentages mm-hmm. through the roof. In fact, sure. the teams only lost once game one in the finals when they've had that kind of uh, gap in right. time. And that's,
1: again, that's the, uh, with at least five days of rest uh, advantage, Heading into the finals. Right. Uh, you know, at home, 8-1. and one, And you mentioned them. Uh, it's it's remarkable. The Utah Jazz, right? In yep, the only the ones one that team lost. Team they had lost. home court against the... They had the, home court against the...
0: Last Chicago Dance Chicago Bulls. Bulls team. Exactly right. And uh, that they're the only one that, that ended up losing. So, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a tremendous advantage. But you're right. The... Heat are not scared. Uh, they really, one
1: thing they aren't
0: yeah, is scared. That is a, they will not be easy to discover. They will not. And, and they do not back down. They, they just, they're not that kind of team. They're well-coached. Uh, Jimmy Butler is one of those guys like Nikola Jokic, he's unflappable on the court. He just is. Uh, you're not going to get him, uh, off his game reward. Yes. There was a the couple years ago. He was arguing with the, the Nuggets coaching staff, but yeah, for the I, most I, part, uh, You you just got to
1: make things difficult. I don't think there'll be outward signs of frustration, Uh, and I don't even think with Murray there would be outward signs of frustration, but maybe you could sense it, and I think they're the two guys in in this series who will be especially interesting to watch because uh, both teams have uh, uh, different options on uh, guarding those two players. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And maybe you throw a lot at them, and like throwing
0: mud at the wall and seeing what. It's sticks. interesting though because Jimmy Butler's been tremendous. He has been wearing down the the numbers over the course of of the playoffs. Shooting numbers are going that down way to me. The scoring numbers are down. Uh, the fatigue seems to be real because the numbers uh, don't tend to lie in that. Now, does, how much does that mean? I don't know if we necessarily uh, know just yet. We're going to find out when we play. But the things that we think about that worked with the Lakers, for example, right? When when they were able to at least temporarily disrupt Jokic with uh, Rihat Chamura. The difference is the Heat don't have a guy like that. Uh, The the, the Heat are a a comparatively undersized team. The only guys that they have a width size behind out of bio, Cody Zeller and, and Kevin Love, are not particularly mobile guys. And the funny thing is when I talk about not well, mobile. Love's not even playing. Uh, Love's not because even playing. Of injury. He's been dinged up. Zero hasn't gotten on. They'll the floor. have to they'll almost have to because I they'll think Atabayo is going to get in foul trouble. Yeah. The 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 situation here for this team, I think is to to try to to, to go ahead and say what Nicole e. oaks talked about today at the press conference when he talked about, you know, we're the favorites who said we're the favorites, the media. And then someone said, it's it's Vegas. And he said, okay, but we were underdogs for the previous two series, so how does that work? And uh, he said, I don't think there are favorites. I think this is, you know, basically said this is the finals, and this is as tough as it gets. That's the mindset the Nuggets have to have. You can't, uh, you've never been here. Only, they, K, only KCP has been here. Uh, But he was in the bubble, and the bubble is nothing like
1: the atmosphere. There are guys on the Heat that
0: have titles. Oh, absolutely. Uh, They have that little gold uh, tab on the back of their jerseys that indicates that they've won a title. The Nuggets don't. And I think this team is hungry enough and smart enough to understand that, to a certain extent, they don't entirely understand what they're facing, but they are ready to step up and play these games. It seems like to a man, uh, Michael Porter Jr. was on JJ Raddick's podcast uh, that some of that is getting released today. Talked about how uh, Jokic does not care about awards and that has bled over to the whole team now. And Michael Porter Jr. is one of the guys that Michael Malone singled out and said that his approach to the game has completely changed. At one point saying, if Bruce Brown needs to be in the game to finish up, I just want to win. Yeah, I, I... I don't know that that's
1: entirely
0: true, but
1: it's a good story that's out there. And I think the attitude of Porter has changed. clearly changed. I, I, I don't know. Aaron Gordon actually who is kind that. of, uh, yeah, but, who knows?
0: But, but clearly the attitude from Porter Jr. Has changed. And he talked about it a little bit with, uh, with Reddick. The idea that, that this is a team that just wants to go win. They don't need a war. They don't really need awards. They want to hoist right. the Larry O'Brien trophy. They want rings. Aaron Gordon has been a guy that was a, a, a five number five overall pick kind of languished in Orlando. The main thing you thought about his cruise. is he's the guy that got robbed on a dunk contest once. He comes to Denver, and after getting himself sort of uh, ingratiated in with the Nuggets, has become kind of an ultimate glue guy. Well, he's figured out how to play with Jokic. Right. He's
1: really figured it out. And, you know, there's been a nice balance to his game in the playoffs. Uh, I think he's been more selective For the most part, with his three-point shooting, um, there are times he has to take it. He's not the greatest three-point shooter in the world, but the fact that he's taking good threes has led to an unusually high percentage of three-point conversions for him. Yes. For him. And he is a threat of sorts, although (laughs) you've got to take chances uh, when you're up against the Nuggets, and one of the options is given the choice between letting Jokic freewheel inside or having Gordon shoot a three from a a Mm standstill position, uh, you might prefer to have Gordon shoot that three and prove that he can make it on a reasonably consistent basis. Uh, Porter's got a great three-point stroke. Uh, He can create a three on his own. Uh, He he can shoot it in the open floor. Uh, I think Gordon's been more selective. Caldwell Pope has been a high percentage three-point shooter. I mean, the Nuggets haven't had anybody in the playoffs who is taking foolish threes. I mean, you can watch one quarter of a Boston Celtic game and see more foolish threes than you've seen from the Nuggets uh, throughout the entire playoff season to date. Yeah, and and
0: it's worth noting that, you know, the conversion rate for the the Nuggets in threes, and th- this is where you look at it and go, okay, you know, what is... What is sustainable and what is not sustainable, and that part is, is is tricky. This team is is very very good. Jokic is very very good, but out of a thousand career playoff shot attempts, it's a decent number. Jokic is actually ahead of Clay Thompson, Ray Allen, and Steph Curry by roughly one percent in three point shooting. Okay. <laughs> Jamal Murray, he doesn't take as many, but right, Jamal but Murray in his career are good threes is within one percent below Thompson Allen and Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. Now, that's where you look mm-hmm. at it, and I'm like, I, I like the Nuggets offense, but I, some of it you can look at the statistics and say. Nicole Jokic is not a better three-point shooter than Ray Allen or Steph Curry. No. Period. He's not. Jamal Murray is probably not less than 1% of a lesser three-point shooter than those guys either. So how much of this is sustainable? And this is where data becomes interesting. The thing is, it's sustainable for another seven games. For his career, will Nicole Jokic be a 41% three-point shooter? Probably not. But is it sustainable for the next handful of games? Yes. Yes, it is. And so... When you, you look inside some of these numbers, it's easy to get wrapped up in it, but it's so important as we talked about it in the first segment, and we talked about it you know, with Nino Samuel of NBA 2K, this is still a game played by human beings. And human beings have tendencies. Human beings uh, run hot and cold. And so for the Nuggets, even though they are putting up some almost comical numbers in these playoffs as an offense, it doesn't mean that it's going to fall off a cliff but it also doesn't mean that a very gritty Miami Heat team that hangs its hat on making games ugly and making them a slog and is coached by easily the best coach available uh, really was the best coach in the playoffs, I think, uh, at all, because San Antonio and Greg Povich didn't make it, and I think Spolster's career uh, is slightly, given the fact that he's done overspent a time, I'm going to give him the edge over Kerr, uh, given the fact that he has had to be, I think, more creative to get his teams where they are. But you're talking about a guy that was the best coach in the playoffs anyway. And I don't expect the Nuggets to be able to do, you know, you heard about Anthony Davis and his multiple defensive players of the year and all that, and they and they don't have a Hachimura. But I don't think the Nuggets are going to be up in the 120s in very many of these games in this series. doesn't mean they won't win. But I think Miami does have the ability to slow this game down. The Nuggets against the Lakers
1: averaged 122.3 points per 100 possessions. With Murray on the floor, 123.3 per 100 possessions. And with Murray and Jokic on the floor, 125.3 per 100 possessions. Now, that's one series, small sample size. But at least in terms of half-court defense, there's nobody better than the Lakers, including the Miami Heat. Right, Or the Heat Great are point. much better than the Lakers is on the transition defensive side. <laughs> they are much more willing and able to get back defensively than the Lakers are. And some of it is age, uh, uh, particularly with respect to James and Anthony Davis. And, you know, James played with a foot injury that by all rights would have kept uh, (laughs) mere mortals out entirely. I mean, that was a legitimate injury Mm -hmm. and if it had been early in the regular season, he would have been off a lot longer uh, than he was uh, after the injury was sustained relatively late in the season. And he wanted to be back for the playoffs and he even got back for a few regular season games uh, in the, in the end and for the playing game that they needed to win to secure the seventh seed. Uh, Miami's a a different animal and you know, I, I, I I don't want to get carried away. Uh, I I don't know how much zone we'll see, but there are things like box and one, triangle and two, that uh, even some great coaches of the game don't necessarily understand or deploy very often. Uh, Eric Spolster will... Deploy those kinds of defenses. And if he does, believe me, his team will be well drilled as to how to execute those types of defenses. And I, I guess I think boxing one more with respect to Jokic um, than I would triangle and two. Uh, I, I think the idea maybe in defending Murray would be to throw a lot of different defenders at him, not multiple defenders right. at the same time, because, but yeah. different
0: looks. And see, okay, it, does this guy frustrate him a little? Because the Nuggets bit. adjusted when LeBron James had success on Murray, but when they when the Lakers continued to deploy that, the Nuggets did find some workarounds. Even oh, though that was LeBron James, yeah, they got better.
1: And and James actually later in the series, Jokic, I, I thought instead, was, was more effective. Probably even the best guarding Jokic than he was yeah. on the occasions than anybody else out.
0: it is going to be fascinating of course Miami uses own defense more than any team in the playoffs that is a defense that the Nuggets shred as you can imagine with Nicole yeah, Jokic and, and, and you won't see it used the way it was against
1: Boston which every no. time things got sticky they went to the zone because they knew Boston either couldn't handle it at all or wouldn't or to. would be affected adversely by it um, it, it it didn't work in terms of leading to victory every time, but it worked often enough and Boston never figured it out. And maybe that was a coaching deficiency. Uh, maybe that was a plain, uh, weakness that, that Boston just didn't understand that it, it, you know, against the zone, they're inviting you to, Chuck from three point range. That's what the zone is telling you to do. And you've got to resist the temptation and, you know, get some penetration and Jokic, uh, against the zone. uh, It'll be interesting to see how uh, he reacts to it. If it is employed, but I I'm sensing that they'll use game one to feel things out. Uh, depending on the score, uh, If it's a blowout, they may try some different things the way the Lakers did in in game one that I I know finished as a six-point game, but it was a blowout until the final four or five minutes of the game. There was no question the Nuggets were going to win by double digits. They end up winning by six, uh, but it really was not as close as that score might indicate, although it is true that LeBron James with 45 seconds left had a three-pointer that would have
0: tied the game. We will obviously find out tomorrow when all this gets going, but to break it down in some more uh, incrementally mathematical and clever ways, Mile High Sports' lead Nuggets writer, Ryan Blackburn, host of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast. Uh, He will join us next on Mile High Sports.